Okay, so again, uh, on the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel, number Roman numeral one lists all eight. We are on the seventh one, and the seventh one is called the first five steps of entering Christ's kingdom. And hopefully I would encourage anyone, especially anyone who helps bring people forward in the Lord, if you're part of the evangelism discipleship kind of process, make sure you have those memorized. You should have them memorized at the beginning of your Christian walk because if you can remind yourself to stay focused on getting those five things done at the beginning of your Christian walk, uh, there's no example in the New Testament of someone taking longer than one week to go through those five things. And really, our, in our day and age, if we could get people through them in less than one year, that's usually quite good. Uh, one of the things you'll find is people will take certain steps and then stop and won't finish the other steps. Uh, for instance, we get lots of people who get baptized in the Holy Spirit who never really get themselves prepared to go through deliverance. There's actually people in our church that have been here since 2005 that have never been through a deliverance session and have needed one since then. And so, uh, but you have to kind of do a little preparation, and, and that will actually be the next series that we'll be launching into is we're going to look at step four of the five in terms of our eight essential elements, and we're going to uh, look at the whole subject of deliverance and healing, <clears throat> but that's going to be a separate mini-series after the Holy Spirit series. We're going to do a little separate series on, on the reality of Satan and his kingdom, which includes satanic angels and demons. Uh, how they operate, uh, what we need to do to uh, overcome them, and so forth. So that will be the, the next series, hopefully starting in about two weeks, two to three weeks. And then hopefully we'll be done with all that by May. And uh, we have a surprise for you in May. So I'm going to start a new series in May with uh, Andy Gearhart and I working together on something. Okay, so here we go. Um, if you noticed, on in terms of the being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we've been at what I would call like the third, like we've had an A, B, and C emphasis. C being or imparting or receiving the Holy Spirit baptism. So what we're talking about is if you're helping people build the faith and get prayed for to be baptized in the Spirit, this is what you need to know. If you're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is what you need to know. Okay, and we've been on that uh, now for several weeks. Um, and um, let's see, this would be, I think, the third week on that, if I'm, if I'm understand, remembering right. So if you'll flip over, we're, uh, we want to talk about uh, a point we made the last couple weeks that um, people may or may not need to... Uh, a lot of input to grow and get ready and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I gave some examples. I used Catherine, my wife's testimony, and my, my own testimony. Uh, we both got baptized in the Holy Spirit knowing very little about it. Catherine actually knew nothing about it. She just was overwhelmed by the love of God and the presence of God and, and was trying to express to the Lord how much she loves him and wish she's basically found herself saying, I wish I could tell you how much I love you. And she began to sing in tongues and speak in tongues and worship the Lord that way and uh, went back to the fellowship. She had, you know, she'd been saved a little while uh, and she went back to share the experience with some of the young ladies and they 
said, well, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they taught her about it biblically <laughs> after she'd already experienced that. So, however, we also use the example of our good friend Chris Helzer, who had wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for eight years, had gone forward at altar calls many times, and had never had anything happen because he was always attending the kind of churches that do everything by altar calls without giving you any discipleship training or biblical studies or information first. And it's our conviction that we don't just want you to have the biblical understanding, but we want to do it in such a way that you start to build the faith to receive from God and that you begin to understand, I need a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit. That's actually what the whole first section of this series is about. In the old series, it was just uh, chapters 1 and 2. I forget how many chapters we did on it this, this time, but 10 or 12 chapters just on why we need a greater uh, understanding biblically in our intellectual and scriptural understanding and why we need a greater spiritual experience of the Holy Spirit in our life and why getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is a stepping stone into that. Now, we made the point several times in this series, especially in recent weeks, that it's quite possible to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily begin to move into staying filled with the Holy Spirit, or to encounter a greater lordship of Christ in practical ways. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul trying to, it's almost as if he anticipated cessationism or opposition to the Holy Spirit. So he tells us how to discern. He goes, when you were pagans, you were led astray to various idols in various ways. So here's how you know. He goes, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. A greater experience with the Holy Spirit should open up your theology to a bigger view of the sovereignty of God, the lordship of Christ, his current present kingdom, that it's not all in the future after the second coming, the whole idea that it's going to get darker and darker and the church is going to, you know, cower in the corner and just, you know, all that modern stuff, that should all disappear from the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't always because most people don't go on to let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into all truth. But many of the paradigms of Scripture today that are, dom that are destroying uh, conservative versions of Christianity are contrary to the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, one of the effects of the Holy Spirit should be to open your eyes up to a much better understanding of the attributes of God. In fact... Uh, had coffee with Andy Gearhart for about two and a half hours this week. We were kind of brainstorming and strategizing, but they are uh, in their home group that meets every other Wednesday night starting this Wednesday night. They're going to take uh, people through the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which uh, Beth and Deanna and several other people have taken people through that book. And that will help you because most of our troubles start with we have too small a view of God in our heart and mind. You know, if you're worrying, your God's too small. If you're struggling with fear, your God's too small. If you're struggling for faith for your finances or, or any other area of life, or if you're 
what, a single guy getting a little older and wondering if God's ever going to bring you the right woman, probably your God's too small. And you, you, to think on the attributes of God is a great thing to do. And the Holy Spirit will actually do that if you'll let him in your life. But what we want to say is it's possible to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and not have that happen. And if there's anything destroying the church today, it's the lack of understanding of God's sovereignty and what we might call his divine or incommunicable attributes. Our God is too small. We've reduced who he is. So anyway, so we used, uh, we used uh, Chris Helzer's testimony as basically I, uh, he had expressed to me I've been wanting to get baptized in the Spirit for eight years. I've gone forward to get prayed many times. Nothing's happened. I'm a little discouraged about it. And so I just prepared it. Now, back then, we didn't have the series and so forth. I had one cassette tape that I'd saved from, I think, the early 80s, probably. It was 90 minutes long, and I gave him a book. I don't remember if it was uh, 9 o'clock in the morning or they speak with other tongues, but a book along that kind of lines. And uh, I asked him to read through the book of Acts and study the activities of people being filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and then to meet with me. And we met for one or two hours, went through a lot of scripture, and then we went over to my Sunday school room. I used to have an office and a Sunday school room over at Bethel Christian Assembly, and we prayed for him to get baptized in the Spirit. And it was just the two of us because I didn't even have a team of people at that time. So... Um, I think John was about nine years old at the time, so and Carla was about eleven or something. Probably should have brought them, uh, so <laughs> to help. All right, so uh, hopefully that catches us up. Now, last week we began to go through the in terms of the five common hindrances, which we taught on for a couple weeks, uh, to to not only getting baptized in the Spirit but staying filled with the Spirit. These will also hinder you, if, even if you have a prayer language, uh, you won't grow in, that, uh, in the effect and power of the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the activity of the Spirit who came to illuminate Jesus as Lord. We already alluded to 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In John 15, 26 and 27, in the context of John 13 through 16, is the Last Supper... John's version of it, and John is saying, I'm going to go to the Father, but it's actually better than you think. In fact, it's better than I'm with you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the whole four chapters, he's talking about what it's going to be like once he's physically gone to be with the Father, and once he pours out Pentecost into the church, and that that's actually going to be greater time to walk with Christ because Christ will be able to be present everywhere by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and not just uh, wherever Jesus was at in a physical body at the time. So he actually says, it's to your advantage that I go. And greater works than I do shall those who believe in me do because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, an expectation of not seeing greater works than what we read about in the gospel is something we should actually repent of. Most of us don't have the kinds of expectations that we're going to daily encounter powers of the, of the Holy Spirit. And the, the problem isn't that God doesn't want to do those things. 
The problem is, is he gave us our spirit and our walk with God is kind of the radio equipment uh, to transform the radio waves into sound. You know, there's all kinds of electronic waves going through this room right now, but you need the right cell phone or the right radio or whatever, the right receptive device to capture those waves and turn, and turn them into sound. But there's literally tens of thousands of messages flying through the air in this room right this minute. And God is speaking and God is doing things, but just like when it says when Jesus entered his own hometown, he was not able to do much there because of his unbelief. God wants to do much more. Every Friday night, God wants 30 people to prophesy. But we're not tuned in, we're not believing for that and looking for that and studying and preparing our hearts for that. But he really does. The Bible actually says in terms of how to conduct that kind of meeting in 1 Corinthians 14, one of the things Paul says, you can all prophesy one by one. And I was actually, Catherine and I attended a particular movement that's known for its spiritual gifts and prophecy. And they were talking about that verse. And they literally had every person in the, in the whole place, like several hundred people, come forward one at a time and prophesy. And it was amazing and because the Lord is speaking. So I hope to do a little bit with spiritual gifts uh, at the conclusion of this series. We'll see if I can work that in or not. So anyway, we've been going through the five hindrances. And last week, we went through three of those with some testimonies of people uh, in our church or in my past that, that uh, had that problem and how God alleviated it from them. I can't repeat all that today. But we got through biblically incomplete conversions. We got through the Charlie Brown syndrome. We actually shared Jennifer Petz and my testimony about that. We got through uh, occult involvement, and I shared uh, some testimonies along that line. And then uh, we ran out of time. So I'm actually going to share a few more testimonies today. Hopefully you don't have any names on your outlines. I have some names on my outline just to remind me of whose story to tell. Um, although I'm not going to always use the names. So, um, unforgiveness and bitterness. I'm going to talk about two individuals, one whom I'm going to name. Um, there was a person that, uh, uh, you know, was fellowshipping with a fellowship I was leading some years back. And that person had men mentioned uh, to a couple ladies that were helping them grow and myself uh, about uh, having a very abusive father who was also the one that said we have to go to church and, and was, you know, like, you know, really harsh legalistic, you have to dress a certain way and very, all kind of focus on legalism, yet on the, but he was having multiple affairs and, and drunkenness. And he, he wasn't living, in his, living the life at all, but he was doing all that in secret. The mom and the daughters didn't know anything about that. Um, so it was interesting that that person had actually uh, used some books we were using at the time on forgiveness, had worked through forgiving uh, privately. But uh, when we went to pray for her to get baptized in the Spirit, even though someone had prepared her and taken her through, uh, when we started to pray, we could sense the Holy Spirit's countenance all about her. And we could her face was kind of, I don't know, getting a certain kind of look on it, and, uh, but she wasn't really getting filled with the Spirit or getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
So as people were praying for a while, what I always do in these kind of situations is I just start asking God, what's, what's, which one of the five and, and we'll, what do we do about it? Because you have to kind of diagnose which one of the five it is. And, and uh, I've only had a couple of times where it was more than one, like two of the five. But in this particular case, I asked everyone to stop for a minute. And I asked this individual, have you ever in front of some, another Christian forgiven your father? Because uh, one of the doctrines of fundamentalist Protestantism is you only have to confess to God. You never have to talk to anyone else about it. And, uh, of course, our flesh loves that doctrine. So, you know, I killed a few people. I just didn't tell anybody about it. You know, like, uh, that's a favorite doctrine of your sin nature. And, but the Bible clearly teaches, to con- James 5, to confess your sins to one another. And you obviously don't, it doesn't mean to confess every sin because no one has time for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like if I ever said, I'm going to confess all my sins to you, you'd have to just kind of say, well, honestly, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> you know, thank the Lord, but uh, find somebody who can just sit around for hours and uh, hear your confession. Um, we wouldn't have that kind of time. But what you do want to do is confess anything that's uh, got a potential negative impact on you, that's opened the door for a demonic hold, uh, a, a spiritual wound, uh, a habit, an addiction, uh, unforgiveness, or whatever. And that's, that's important. When in, again, in John, after the resurrection and Jesus' Sunday night appearance, John's version of it, Luke has a version of it too, to the disciples in the other room, upper room, John emphasizes that Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they've been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. Now, I don't totally know all of what that statement means, but that statement is really a pretty intense thing if you think about it. Because if you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. There is some kind of negativity that's happening when you have uh, unforgiveness in your heart. And uh, usually the thing that's the most clear, if you, you know, if you go back and listen to John's message from several years ago, forgiveness is a prerequisite to discipleship. First and foremost, unforgiveness uh, will retain some bondage in you. And you might as well just walk inside a prison Lock the door and throw the key far away where you can't reach it if you're going to fellowship unforgiveness in your spirit. That's what you're doing to yourself. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18. So in this particular case, I knew this person had privately forgiven her father a number of times. I also knew that in counseling, she had confessed that to several older Christians uh, in, in a discussion way. But she had never actually prayed with someone as like a representative of Christ in the body of Christ and forgiven her father uh, publicly before God, the satanic angels, the heavenly angels, the demons, and the body of Christ. And so one of, one of the most important reasons you need to have some brother or sister, uh, you know, listen to your confession and say, the Lord Jesus confesses you and encourage you to re to out loud receive his forgiveness is because you need, everybody needs that. 
that the kingdom of heaven is legal and that breaks the legal things. So this young lady took time to do that. And uh, it was powerful. Uh, obviously, it was a very emotional experience because she had had an extremely religiously self-righteous, uh, hypocrite, abusive father. Extremely so. And, and uh, it had trashed her life in many levels. So after she prayed out loud to forgive her father, something she'd done in private many times, but after she prayed with a team of four or five people listening, we prayed again for her. She was totally baptized in the Spirit, totally overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit, and totally, uh, her life was changed completely. Uh, for, forever going forward. So my second testimony of this unforgiveness thing, I will use the name because I have the permission to do that, was Stephen Leopold. Now, when Stephen came to us, he actually came to us because he was uh, a, a church that he was attending had, had confronted him and said, you can't be living this sinful lifestyle and still say you're a Christian and walking with God. And uh, he didn't like that message very much, so he found a new church. <laughs> and he pur purposely, one of the things you're going to find is like spirits attract. If you're really uh, on fire for the Lord, you'll be attracted to a church that's going to challenge you to go much further. If you're lukewarm about the Lord, you'll be attracted to a lukewarm place. And so uh, Stephen had purposely sought out uh, a group of Christians and a fellowship of Christians who uh, it was kind of much more acceptable to, uh, to live a double life. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, I love these brothers. Good fellowship. We can live double lives and worship the Lord and, and do whatever we want to do. It was, that was the church he was looking for. Unfortunately, God in his sovereignty arranged that uh, our good friend Nathan Hager was there and said, you can't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and Satan, Stephen said to Nathan, I rebuke you, Satan. No, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, and uh, they started having a weekly Bible study. And Nathan was uh, discerning enough after seven or eight Bible studies to say, you know, I don't think I can take, give you, I'm not in the place right now to give you all that God wants to give you. I would encourage you to go get discipled by Greg Weiss and John Weiss. And he, and Stephen started listening to our podcast. And by the time he visited on a Friday night for the first time, he'd listened to about 30 podcasts. And uh, so he knew a little bit about us, although we knew nothing about him. And uh, if you've never heard Stephen share this, uh, this is really kind of an important thing. Because of Stephen's biblical education level and, and uh, vocabulary level, he had to live, listen with an online dictionary in his hand and pause the podcast and look up the words. Uh, and he had to do that about every one or two minutes so that each 40-minute podcast took him two hours to listen to. Yet he was getting so much out of them he decided it was worth the two hours to listen to him. And of course, God began to teach him a lot about Scripture, and he began to build some theological vocabulary and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is a very important thing. Paul tells us that we do speak wisdom among the mature, 1 Corinthians 2, but a wisdom that's not of this age, and he goes on to talk about how we combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. 
you can't grow in the things of God without growing in a vocabulary to discuss God because he is the word of God. So, and there are words like Trinity that don't appear in the Bible, but appear in theology because they explain what the Bible is actually saying. The word Trinity appears nowhere in the Bible, yet the Bible discusses the doctrine of the Trinity in hundreds of places. So, Stephen was doing that, and, and he and I started having Bible studies. And we uh, went to that really Christian place, Hickory, Old Hickory Barbecue, <laughs> and uh, had barbecued sandwiches with French fries and uh, sat there and did a Bible study for a couple hours every week, sometimes twice a week, for several months. And then uh, one night we decided it was time for Stephen to get prayed for, to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I uh, don't even remember all the people who were part of the team that night. But it was on a Friday night, late after everyone had gone home. I think we started 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. And uh, probably 11. And uh, when we prayed for Stephen, the Holy Spirit just buckled him and he, went, he just went down on the floor. And he was just uh, totally under the power of the Spirit, but laying on the floor. And... Uh, I began to ask God, what are you doing here? And I began to realize this person has so much unforgiveness. Uh, many of the sisters in the fellowship had actually testified to me. They were scared to be around Stephen. And uh, he had like so much unforgiveness and anger in his spirit that he was an intimidating presence. Hard to believe that now, isn't it? And, uh, so we led him in uh, prayers of forgiveness toward many people in his life, starting with his parents and so forth, and the number of other key relationships he'd had along the way, uh, cast out a number of demons, and then prayed for him to get baptized in the Spirit, uh, which he powerfully got baptized in the Spirit. And to this day, no one has ever changed more in terms of their character and behavior that I've ministered to in one day than what happened that night. The next day, he was a completely different person. I've never, never seen Stephen, who lives in a very high-pressured situation that he works for me, and, and, uh, and uh, I've never even seen him upset or angry since that day, nor particularly frustrated or anything. He's just kind of been like this rock of peace, and the depth of his understanding of the things of God just started leaping up by uh, leaps and bounds. And Generally, if I don't know where Stephen is, He's in his room reading the scriptures, theology, biblical studies, and, and even, you know, he's passed all the books we recommend on to other books that John and Andy Gerhardt and, you know, Anvesh and other friends have recommended. And uh, um, when I get a chance to hear Stephen conducting the, the Bible studies on Thursday nights at Wright State, I'm just awed at his insights. I'm like, wow, this guy really gets it. And that all started with one powerful experience, getting rid of unforgiveness and bitterness and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And literally, he was a completely new person, kind of like you read about should happen when you start go with the Lord in the Bible. Most of us, including myself, that kind of experience happened to me over a period of about nine months and four deliverances involved and so forth. But, you know, this all happened in one, one evening. 
And really, when you see Jesus come into situations in the gospel filled with the Holy Spirit, the reason the demons freak out is the whole, there's a clash of kingdoms going on. You can't get more of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit starting to release you from your darkness. Legalism, so, you know, self-righteousness, accusations, unforgiveness, um, you name it. Uh, you know, you can't progress in the Holy Spirit and, and without him dealing with all that. So, kind of, you know, I'm doing less theology today and just sharing, you know, if you remember, we taught on these five things. And so I'm just giving some testimonies of that. But Stephen's whole life had been destroyed starting as a teenager through uh, two marriages and a whole lot of other stuff by the fact that unforgiveness and bitterness was controlling his whole spiritual experience. He'd been through a church we have friendship with, that we recommend the church, we like the church. Uh, you know, it's one of those big, big churches. Uh, he'd been through like their leadership training. He led Bible studies, but he was living a double life. You know, he didn't uh, make any attempts to not be a drunkard or many other sins that we won't go into. Uh, so, um, believe me, the Holy Spirit... I will not I'll let you live a double life. You can't have him and your double life. You just can't have them. All right. Now, the next, the last one we talked about was the spirit of unbelief. And we used kind of an intellectual word that I called meta, metacognitive constitution. But the bottom line is what it means is everybody... As you're coming to Christ, before you get spiritually matured, you have a particular way you hear in life. So you meet people who hear emotionally, but some people who hear emotionally hear emotionally through their wounded spirit, and, or some people hear defensively emotionally. Some people hear very intellectually, but they don't hear this, uh, in a spiritual way, or, or nor does it affect their emotions. You know, uh, they're, you know, classically we think of sometimes engineers and rocket scientists. I remember uh, a brother who uh, was in my, the first church I started in Dayton who actually was a rocket scientist and uh, was, uh, you know, doing rocket science research at the Air Force Base and, uh, and for his uh, doctorate degree at Wright State. And he had uh, all kind of scriptural knowledge but a completely double life. And he was very theologically well-informed and, and usually the right kinds of perspectives on a number of things. But on things that affected his walk with God, he had spun them, uh, you know, so for instance, he said, well, I don't believe in tithing because that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> and uh, so I took him through Zacchaeus and a number of things in the New Testament. I said, you know, I don't have any problem if you don't believe that, but grace is, always demands a higher response, uh, the, the law, and then some merciful, gracious, extravagant response above that. So if you actually think, I don't believe in tithing because I'm giving 20 to 30% of my income to God, I'm okay with that. No. <laughs> but, but of course, you never get that. You know, he was giving like 1% or 2% of his income to God. And... Um, he was a graduate student at the time, so it didn't really affect us that much because he didn't have that big a salary or anything. But 
but it affected him a great deal. And so, you know, uh, he, but he was just wired to hear with his head, but he didn't hear at all with his heart or his spirit. I, I don't know all of what your heart is, but your heart has something to do with that intersection between your spirit and your soul, your mind and emotions that makes up your affections and desires and so forth. That watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Like lots of things in, in the Christian life are a matter of what you're allowing God to do in terms of renewing, regenerating, and restoring your heart with God. And he wasn't letting any of that happen. And he was, wasn't about to. So I don't really know how to explain it. Is When I first came up with this, I used to call this solical fiber, but there's a way in which people hear that isn't necessarily the spiritually, biblically mature way to hear. And what God wants to take you to eventually is where you hear through a mind filled with great understanding of Scripture. Like you've read the whole Bible a number of times. You know how to think in terms of major biblical things. You've been through systematic theology classes, church history classes. Uh, you understand, uh, you know, like you, I, I recommend that you have hundreds and hundreds of verses memorized. I recommend you carry around three by five note cards and memorize a lot of scripture. But that's one way you hear. But at the same time, your spirit hears what the Holy Spirit is doing and discerns uh, other spirits and so forth. And like the story I told about uh, casting the demons out of the guy at, in the lobby of Offenhauer Towers, you know, the Holy Spirit was showing us things on the way there and while we were there. And you can't do any effective ministry without the Holy Spirit helping you see while you're talking. But he can speak to a mind filled with biblical knowledge, experience, and scripture way more than he can speak to an empty mind. If you're, if you're sort of preloaded with, with lots of biblical knowledge and theology and so forth, it makes it easier to discern between the voice of the Holy Spirit and other voices. Because the Holy Spirit will never speak something that disagrees with Scripture. However, listen carefully, the Holy Spirit will many times speak things that disagree with your previous understanding, which was incorrect, of Scripture. Does everybody understand that? Many times you're right in the middle of a ministry situation. Your understanding of Scripture will be adjusted if you have enough scriptural knowledge to be loaded with that. Because God will give you the anointing and the insight you need for the situation you're in. And just uh, in case you don't know this, you should know this. You should always go through Romans 10. My bad. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and the Gentiles. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, grew up in Galilee. So he lived in Capernaum as a boy. So that means he would have memorized the five books of Moses by the age of 12 and probably one or 2,000 other Old Testament scriptures by the age of 12. By the time he was probably around 18, Jesus called him. And the final experience, you know, he, there's several experiences, if you read the gospel carefully, that Jesus has with Peter 
before the incident in Luke 5 where he tells him to put down his nets again. And Peter, seeing the glory of God, swims to the shore and falls at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Peter's like so overwhelmed with the glory of God, just like Isaiah had been in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, for I you know, have seen the Lord and I'm a man of unclean lips and so forth. Peter has, has, is having that same kind of encounter with God. I hope you've had that many times. And, and, you know, that's a really important kind of thing to have with God, where you're, t- when you touch the glory of God, you begin to realize God probably called the wrong person here. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, because he, you know, he's sovereign and he hasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but we thought there was something innately within ourselves that made it worth his calling us, and we were quite wrong about that. So uh, there was nothing good that dwelled in us. And then after Peter has that experience, Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And he disciples him three and a half years. Then, at the day of Pentecost, Peter was one of the 120 believers that Acts 1, 14, and 15 give us the number. Acts 2 describes what happens in the upper room. And he's one of those 120 believers. And in fact, he's such an important one that he's the one that stands up and gives the day of Pentecost announcement of the gospel of the kingdom of God and helps them see that Jesus is both Yahweh, uh, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord, and he's the Messiah or Christos, the Messiah with us. And you guys have been waiting all your life for God with us, the Messiah, to come and you killed him. And so at the end of his message, 3,000 people come to Christ. And then we see Peter being the main uh, leader, in, probably the senior pastor, you might say, of the, uh, among the apostles in Jerusalem. But by Acts 8, when Philip was dis- dispersed and so forth, the disciples start to move out into uh, the rest of Israel and other places. And Peter is in Joppa in Acts 10 at Simon the Tanner's house, and the Holy Spirit comes and gives him a vision of unclean animals coming down three times and says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, No, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. I don't do pork. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, maybe our Congress needs that verse. But uh, no, <laughs> they need to stop, get up, give up pork. No. Um, but he... Uh, you know, he share, uh, the, the, the Lord sends him to Cornelius' house. The Lord tells him, some guys are going to appear at the door, and he tells him exactly what's going to happen. And then, of course, as Peter obeys and he goes to Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit pour, is poured out on Cornelius and the Gentiles. And Peter uh, actually gets brought into a whole new position where after that happens, all of a sudden, he's having to defend that he went to Gentiles' houses and brought them into the kingdom and ate with them and prayed with them in their house and everything else. And he's having to defend that. And so he does that very masterfully in Acts 11. But the thing you need to see most is that what the gospel being for the kingdom for everyone is in Genesis 1. It's in Genesis 6, it's in Genesis 12, it's in Genesis 15, etc. It is in the Old Testament over a thousand times. It's a major theme of the Old Testament. 
And it's the first thing Jesus spoke about in Nazareth and Capernaum, according to Luke chapter 4, after he came out of the wilderness. The first thing Peter ever heard Jesus speak was that the gospel was for the Gentiles. Yet he had not seen that in Scripture yet until he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that opened his eyes to what the Scripture had been saying all along and Jesus had been saying all along. Isn't that amazing? And he wasn't some slouch brother like, well, this brother will see more once he reads the Bible for the first time. This was a guy who'd memorized the Old Testament, who was highly educated, who'd been discipled by Jesus himself for three and a half years and was leading the church in Jerusalem for probably around eight years before he began to understand something that his paradigms had screened out of which the Bible was screaming. It was screaming the message. It wasn't like tucked away in a little corner. It was the major point of the message of the Bible. And yet his religious paradigms, he thought of himself as a scriptural man. And he was, until the Holy Spirit opened up his eyes to see what scripture had been saying all along. So the, the Holy Spirit will never help you see something the Scripture's not saying. But he will help you see things that you didn't know the Scripture was saying all the time. But he will never speak something that's non-scriptural. So I'm, you know, going to be on this testimony thing, which is unusual for us because I'm more like, I usually get accused of using too many Bible verses. That's a, always been one of my favorite funny jokes. I don't know why that happens. But, um, wait a minute, i got to find my right place on the notes so I can bring this to an end because I got kind of, I sent the wrong one to Anvesh. Um, where was I? All right, so I gave all that metacognitive insti- uh, constitution stuff, but I didn't actually get to tell any of the testimonies of it, but we're past the time. So try to remember what I'm talking about with the metacognitive constitution. People hear things a certain way. And that's amazing is God will meet you. In fact, part of the key to being effective evangelistically and discipleship, and the reason we do so much one-on-one is start with people where they're at. You know, to be honest, sometimes in our culture, people are so narcissistic Sometimes you have to just start helping them see why their sinful or their mediocre Christianity in life is costing them so much. You know, most people you meet who've been raised up in Christian in Christianity today are living a very lukewarm, mediocre Christian experience that's costing them everything, but they don't see how much it's costing them. So we'll start next week with that again, and we're uh, we're going to go through some testimonies of uh, how that will help us understand when, when you're dealing with a spirit of unbelief is, is strong in a person, how do you help lift that off of them using Scripture that, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ? How do you use the Scripture to build their faith? Amen.